Welcome into a new edition of the Going Deep Buffalo podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Masseri, here with Kevin Syracuse to break down yet another disappointing divisional round loss to yet again, the Kansas City Chiefs. And what's next? The episode topic as well, what's next? What do the Bills need to do to finally get over this three-point hump? And what can they do going forward? But first, this show is brought to you by the Summit Seminar, some of the best autism care in Western New York. It's an important mission to me and my family. So get out there and check out the Summit Center. All donations are accepted to them, as well as Tuscany Market and Deli in Fredonia. Tuscany is a locally owned Italian deli and specialty grocer, offering an old school butcher shop with homemade sausage, burgers, and more, as well as a full-scale deli, subs and sandwiches, fresh produce, Italian imports, kitchen supplies, home goods, and much more. You can find Tuscany on Facebook and Instagram and visit their shop at 450 East Main Street, right on the corner of Route 60 and 20 in Fredonia. A great deli and market that is as well. So we're very proud to have all of our sponsors as usual. But Kevin, let's get into it. First and foremost, let's start at the top of the hour. Let's start talking about the game a little bit. Um, you know, we're a couple of days post-mortem from that. Uh, I was there. I know you were there as well. Um, and it's just uh, was a great buzzing environment in the stadium. The Bills seemed to control play for the majority of the day within time of possession for the first three quarters. Everything looked fairly smooth. Looked like no one was really stopping anybody for much of the day. Uh, but then we had a few chief stops, and that's really all it took. The Bills did buckle down a little bit on defense, switching a few things up, uh, but it just wasn't enough uh, with a Tyler Bass miss. Uh, kick you got to have from that distance in that range in this type of environment. Uh, just un- inexcusable to miss that style of field goal. Uh, nowadays, it's 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 he's paid to make that kick. Uh, this isn't a kicker that hasn't been in these moments before. So, Kevin, tell me first and foremost, give me your thoughts and, and your re- initial reactions from the stadium. It was it was heartbreaking, and it's pretty sad because I have the exact same photo of myself walking out of the stadium last year as I now do this year. Same outfit, same Bill scarf, same dejected look, where it's just like, why? Why? Why does it always happen? Why can we never get over the hump? And once I got home the other night, I needed some time to just decompress and and kind of let out my emotions. So I recorded a video from this spot just on my phone. I obviously didn't go live or anything. And I just basically said that it's just so infuriating when you think that you finally have the Chiefs where you want them. And Mahomes had to go on the road for the first time in his playoff career. The Chiefs had to play in front of Bills Mafia. And do you think that the Bills are catching their stride at the right time? And it still comes back to slap them right in the face. And... As I said in the video, I I didn't even want to get into the specific plays because there are a bunch of those that I'm sure we can get into tonight because that's the point of the show. We don't want to harp on it too much, but there are some plays that warrant us talking about them before we officially, you know, uh, put put the closing marks on this season. But I was saying I, I didn't even want to get into the specific plays because it feels like no matter what happened, the Chiefs were going to find a way to win that game. Like, even if Tyler Bass made that field goal, do you not think that Patrick Mahomes would have led the Chiefs down the field with a minute 45 and two timeouts? It just seemed inevitable that no matter what happened, Diggs made that catch. Sherfield made that catch. Allen hit Shakir in the end zone. Mahomes was still going to come back and and lead the Chiefs to victory. It it just seemed that way. And, And that's why it's so frustrating because it seems like no matter what this team does, they are always going to be short. And looking back to 2020, 
you could tell that the Bills weren't ready. They were inexperienced, and you say, okay, let's reload. We'll be back next year. 2021, 13 seconds. What was the main thing that the Bills needed? A pass rusher. Okay, so you go get Von Miller. There's no way the Bills are not winning the Super Bowl now, right? And then last year, aside from the whole DeMar Hamlin incident, the defensive line was just decimated with injuries, and they got gashed the whole day. So then you build up the defensive line, and you think you finally have the roster in place. And honestly, yeah, the defensive line still did not produce. But I think this just comes down to an execution standpoint. Sure, you could make your your remarks on McDermott and the coaching staff for Brandon Bean for not building up the roster the best he could have, especially from a wide receiver standpoint. But at the end of the day, the Bills are not that far off. They are simply one, two, maybe three plays off from being in the AFC championship game. And this show would be a lot different. And that's why it's so infuriating and dejecting and just so many emotions where it's like, you kind of expect it by now. It doesn't hurt as much because we're so used to it, but at the same time, it hurts that much more. I think what's interesting is the point you brought up. What could have been, I think the clock was the number one thing in the bill's favor, right? So after they had got down, they'd converted a couple of fourth downs. They were inside the 25 yard line ish and they ran a first and 10 run. They wanted to get it to the two minute warning. I guess I see the the theory there. Um, you know, they were able to key in on the run a little bit more in the fourth quarter. Um, and they were able to kind of prevent James cook from really get going a ton throughout the, the second half. I understand the run to stop the clock from there though. You know, what do you do? Do you make them use their timeouts? Do you run the ball, get some more yardage, make that kick a little bit shorter? Cause apparently they needed it. They needed more yards uh, because apparently that was too long of a field goal in the conditions, even though things looked fine, uh, remotely fine. And it's a, it's a place he's kicked many, many times. Um, the digs dump off is a play I want to talk about. I don't think I take that play. I think I take the end zone shot with the receiver open and a dagger barely gets knocked off the line a little bit by Chris Jones, barely enough to affect the throw. You go for the touch. The only way the bills are winning that game with being up four. There is no chance being up t- tied or even if they were up three again, uh, there's no way uh, that the bills are going to hold on to that lead. I mean, Patrick Mahomes can get us down as quickly as 13 seconds with a few timeouts. So do you think that a minute and fi- like with the way the defense played? Okay. But now with Patrick Mahomes calling his best plays of the day and in a minute and 45 scenario, he's at least getting in field goal range. So they're at least winning on a field goal. Like sure. Tip balls. Things could go anyway. Someone could fumble again. I guess those are conceivable outcomes. We've seen him turn the ball over uh, to end drives in the past with a Taron Johnson interception uh, last year. Uh, and, and as far as this season goes, they were unable. They, they turned it over on downs. So I guess those are conceivable. They only have three downs in this instance too, Kevin. That's a big difference because it's a tie game rather than being down. So there are a few factors that could have stepped up to, to stop him from needing a field goal. I don't see it happening. Not with the way AJ Klein was covering. I mean, he he just he can't get it done against the pass. Um, that's why they were in neg- they didn't have linebackers to match up with 12 and 13 personnel, even though Eric Turner tweeted today the Bills were fairly good in nickel against 12 personnel. So it wasn't like they were getting totally bullied. The couple plays that I saw, the DBs were getting in the backfield, a couple of missed tackles on a cold night, things to be expected against a high-flying uh style of offense. But ultimately, a couple of missed reads, uh, they, and they buckled down defensively in the fourth quarter. So you never know if they could have made that final stop on that last drive. But I do know that up four is a totally different experience. Um, it's it's a totally different game. That's not to say Patrick Mahomes can't do it. He sure can. Uh, but that's a totally different environment to be up four uh, there in that situation. 
Um, then you don't even know that Diggs is getting the first down on the cross or on that shot. I think he maybe gets six yards. Sure, the clock's running. Okay, the outcome could be okay. Maybe the, sh- the field goal shorter. So sure, in hindsight, it's like, okay, I would have dumped it off because the, the alternative was an incomplete pass in the end zone. So obviously you're going to say that that's, that's quite frankly what should have happened. And I don't think he gets the first down there in my uh, experience. And then the deep shot to start that drive to digs that he clearly dropped. Does that really change much? Like ultimately they got down to that yard line. The difference was it maybe helped them because now there's two minutes left and they're on the same spot rather than seven minutes left. So I'm not going to sit here and say that specific drop mattered. All that would have done was got the ball back to Mahomes quicker with more time. I don't know. They, they ended up getting down to that exact yard line. So I'm not exactly sure how that one changed, but some of the Sherfield ones are brutal. Like he's got to come down with some of those balls, just period. Like he can't have two, one or the other is fine. He can't have two dimes in his hand um, and, and keep, and he's got to come up with the ball. So does Diggs, but I don't know that that is the game changing play, Kevin. Uh, what is your opinion on both the Diggs drop and then the Diggs crosser where he chose to go to Shakir? Well, let's see. So you want to talk about Diggs first and then Sherfield? Sure. Or should we go in chronological order since Sherfield's happened first? Let's start with Diggs. Okay, yeah. So that, that's the main one right there. Because honestly, there's not that much to talk about with Sherfield aside from that'll that'll translate us into what's next to the title of our show. So you're right. We'll, we'll talk about Diggs for now. That's the main hitter. And then as we move into Sherfield, that is... That'll move us into the offseason talk. So starting with Diggs, I think that's a good point because I was thinking about that. And Mike Schultz brought this up today on WGR saying how if Diggs would have caught that, let's just say he caught it and he broke the tackle, ran it in for a touchdown. There's still eight minutes left in the game. <laughs> yeah, All that would have done was set off the fireworks like we saw in the 13 seconds game where it's just back and forth where Mahomes would have went down to score and then Allen would have had to retaliate. And then maybe Mahomes would go down again. And then Allen has to go down with 20 seconds left or or something like that. So I think that's a good point because as crucial as that was for Diggs to not catch that, you got to look at the clock because I believe there was 823 left. So that is a totally different outcome if he catches that. That doesn't mean that the Bills are going to win. It just means that it totally changes the complexion of the game. Now, I will say, I want to speak specifically on Stefan Diggs, not specifically on the outcome of this game, but I want to speak on Diggs as a wide receiver and as a person because I love Stefan Diggs like we all do. But if you're going to pull what he pulled, in the divisional round last year against Cincinnati, where he was throwing his arms up in Allen's face. And, you know, we need to know the context. A lot of us are just guessing about what he was mad at. And to the points that we've been making all season, he's a competitor. He wants to win. So you're allowed to be angry on the sidelines. But he hasn't been able to back it up. And what I mean by that is he shows up as quarterback last year. And then he goes in the locker room and immediately dashes out before the media can get to him. And then he spends all offseason tweeting cryptically. And sure, he's gone on different podcasts and he said that he wants to be in Buffalo. But then he held out of minicamp and the OTAs and there was that whole saga. And then you think everything's good. This season starts and it's Allen and Diggs. The, The connection is rekindled. The chemistry is there. And then he started to tail off ever since the Giants game in week six, mid October. And then He falls short in the playoffs and again doesn't talk to the media. And now we'll probably be tweeting cryptically. 
that doesn't sit right with me because if you're going to talk all off season and, and be cryptic like that and have your brother tweet, Diggs got to get out of there. And I know he didn't have him tweet that Trayvon Diggs can say whatever he wants, but if you're going to act like that, you need to be able to back it up. And if you can't back it up on the field, you at least better explain yourself to the media afterwards. So I don't like that. And I'm sure that doesn't sit right with a lot of fans. And I think that has led to a lot of people saying, we don't need Diggs anymore. And I'm not there yet because Stefan Diggs is still one of the top receivers in this league. That doesn't mean that we should give up on him and that he's a diva and that he wants out of Buffalo. Simply that means that I think Bean needs to build up the wide receiver room more to help Stefan Diggs so he doesn't get double teamed or bracketed. And so it's not just an Allen Diggs show. That's why I think it's so important that the Bills draft a wide receiver with their first pick in the draft this year. As we'll get into that in momentarily, at least a hierarchy of what we're going to be looking for this offseason between some draft coverage and some free agency stuff and some cap stuff that we'll be talking about. Like I said, I'll get into that shortly, kind of wrapping up on this game. I mean, James Cook did his usual drop a pass, you know, uh, put the ball on the ground, like 18 carries for 61 yards. I needed to see more from James Cook in the, in the first place as well. Ty Johnson, seven for 40, uh, I thought was more effective. I thought he looked better. And then if you kind of recap the game a little bit uh, at times, they had converted a third and four um, to get into a situation about three and a half minutes left. That really was better than the catch. So I guess the theory here is like, of course, Stefan Diggs needs to make that catch. Uh, it's inexcusable. Um, but it, it, it's tough to say like that specifically is the reason they lost. They ended up driving down to that exact spot. I still think even at best, he catches that ball. And I, I'm not, I think he goes down very close to where he catches that. Uh, so the difference here is at one point I said, wow, he dropped that. And now the Bills had a 15 play drive, 16 play, excuse me, with the missed field goal, 16 play drive. Uh, to run 640 off the clock, that's almost a positive experience, especially I remember thinking in my head, okay, he dropped that pass just to start this drive, and we just had a Surefield seven-yard little little dash over there uh, to convert the first down. The Bills have first and 10 at the 27 with 242 on the clock, Kevin. Give me your thought process after that Surefield conversion, 242 on the clock. They decided to run uh, right guards right up the middle for one yard to go to the two-minute warning. But what was your initial reaction as they converted that at the 25-yard line, first and 10, with like three minutes left? Well, first of all, I think the run game was working early in the game, and I like how they did that. They sustained those long drives to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, and they knew that their defense was banged up. So you said, okay, let's keep the clock moving. We're going to go on these long drives, and then we'll have Josh Allen take over like he does. And it, it, it worked for a while. But then... They started teeing off on it because the Chiefs knew it was coming. There were a lot of times when James Cook would just run into his offensive lineman because the Chiefs would already be in the backfield because they knew that the run was coming. I mean, how many times you were there at the game when the PA announcer would say, now in the game is number 76, David Edwards, he is eligible. And it's like, oh, I know what's coming now. And if anything, you know, that was supposed to be Latavius Murray, but he kind of worked his way out of that role. The Bills got rid of Leonard Fournette, didn't have that big bruiser. And James Cook would get stopped for negative yardage. I think there was even that rush. It might have been in the fourth quarter. Um, same same exact type of scenario. And he got stopped in the backfield for a four-yard loss. And then all of a sudden, a second and 14. So I didn't like how they were calling the plays. But in, in terms of that specific series that you're talking about, 
second and nine. That is going to come back to haunt me. And I'm sure the rest of Bill's fans too, because this is where we need to get into it. And I obviously I want to hear what you think. And we want to hear from you guys as well in the comments, because I see it both ways. The fact that Allen went to Shakir, but came up short really makes me think that on one side, you had digs wide open underneath, live to fight another down, keep the clock moving. It most likely would have been third and two. And then you continue what you did for the first three quarters of the game and just milk the clock and not have Patrick Mahomes get it. But then on the other side, you say, we can't be picky. If you can score a touchdown, score a touchdown. And if Chris Jones didn't back into Deion Dawkins, who backed into Josh Allen, we might be looking at a different outcome right now. So I understand that's Josh Allen's first read. And that's what makes him Josh Allen, because he makes those incredible plays where most of us, I'm sitting in the upper deck and I'm like, Diggs is wide open. And then you look and you're like, oh, Shakir's open. Oh, he was open for a sec. But that's why we have Josh Allen, because if you go back before the Allen days, that would have been a Tyrod pass. He would definitely have taken that underneath to Diggs. And sure, it would have worked. But that is why we love Josh Allen, because he is that gunslinger and he is aggressive and he can make those throws. But because we didn't, because the outcome wasn't there, we didn't like the decision. So I see it both ways. What do you think about that, Kevin? I mean, do you, do you think he should have went to Shakir? Was that his first read, or should he have just played it safe, thrown it to Diggs, and try to keep milking the clock? Here's the funny part. So after the Bills scored a touchdown there with a couple minutes left in the third quarter, 64% win probability. So the win probability was in your hands as you go to the time of the end of the fourth quarter. They were driving a little bit, about 50-50 odds around the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, they did end up scoring on that drive, which was which was crazy. Um, but also, you know, you had the, the weird fourth. The fourth quarter was just super strange with the way that it all went down. Uh, a couple of mishaps on offense and the DeMar fake punt. Um, you know, you had a 50, 50 to your question though, prior to that play, it was 50, 50 and it's straight across the board who was winning that football game. So it may have felt like they, after the DeMar play and a couple of other things that things are slipping away statistically and odds based by the time that that first and 10 happened where they ran up the middle, it was 50, 50. Um, you know, by the time that the score that you could have scored, um, on the Shakir play, it would have, so I, formulated it out 87% win probability of that touchdown compare compared to an eight yard play to Stefan Diggs, 51% win probability. So if you look at it like that to basically only because it's increasing that you're going to take some time off the clock, still need to make a field goal maybe, or you need to get in the end zone. Still only working with three downs. So it only increased the win probability on this individual play 1% to have complete that pass for eight yards. However, when you know you could win an 87% chance that Shakir goes incomplete, which was open, the right read, the throw still almost got there. It was close, um, even getting bumped into. If he doesn't get bumped into, it's the Gabe Davis all over again. It's the start of the whole 13 seconds game. Mahomes needs to respond. Yes, there's two, you know, roughly, you know, two minutes left at that point, r right around there, a minute 55. Uh, so it's really like the first Gabe Davis touchdown. That's about the time they had to go and score, and they did within two plays. Uh, with it, with a Tyreek Hill busted coverage, he runs down the sideline. The Bills respond with their timeouts, um, going down the field to 13 seconds. Um, it was about the start of that. That's why I was like, you know, in, in hindsight, you have an 87% chance to win. You make that throw, just like when you see the should you go for it on fourth down, 
and you're looking at probabilities and percentages, you 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 30% difference, you're going to go for it, right? It's the same theory to me is that that eight yard pass the digs probably makes the field goal a little shorter, but overall in the grand arcing scheme of the game, it doesn't change anything. Um, and, and it just, you know, the results. So obviously you would take that. But in the moment I saw Shakir open, actually, before I saw Diggs open, I said, I know where he's going with this ball. Shakir is going to drag his guy away and he's going to be open in the post. The Gabe Davis route. He's going to be open. He was open. That's a touchdown. Um, and I didn't even notice, uh, uh, Allen getting run into. Um, so to me, it, it was a touchdown. And then I noticed, okay, there was nothing on that ball. What happened? Um, and then, you know, you, you, you can see what happened. Uh, but to me, it's the right read to go up under two minutes now under, under two minutes. It's the right read. Um, you got to take the touchdown. There's definitely an argument to be had. If that was third down, if that was fourth down and you were going for it, then maybe not. Um, but there's, there's definitely early on in the, in the stages of downs to take a over a four point lead to, um, you know, that's different than a three point lead. It's 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 an extreme difference. That four points is enough to to hopefully with the McDermott defense without the speed of Tyreek Hill. Now, now you're nickel and diming on their offense. We'll see what they're able to do. I think it's a little bit different than that 13 second game as we saw in the fourth quarter. Uh, really, where the scoring kind of slowed down a little bit, minus the start of that where Isaiah Pacheco scored to start the quarter. So to me, it's the right read. I go up for all day under two minutes, um, but what would have happened if Diggs caught it? That's a different discussion because now there's eight minutes left and you're already on the 20, 25, 15, wherever that would have been. Um, so it's a little bit different of a situation. But to me, you take the touchdown. It's the right read. It's a situation that you go up and by all means, you do your best to play defense. You do everything you can to either commit a turnover, get a sack, do anything possible where he's pressured on the road in front of the crowd noise, I think is a little bit different than playing at Arrowhead. So to me, completely the right read in this situation. And I appreciate uh, Josh Allen basically doing everything he can. It was a great play call. Honestly, that digs route is what kind of pushed the pressure up uh, in the formation. And it's, it's, it's the right, it's the right read. Um, ultimately I'm, I'm completely fine with taking your lead in a divisional playoff game that gives you an 87% chance to win. I mean, ultimately, that's the decision that you make and you hope to the best of you that you can make a stop because they were starting to stop some plays in their nickel coverage and they were able to do a few things late in that game to where I was feeling a little bit better defensively than I was in the third quarter. In the third quarter, I was like, we're not stopping, we're not stopping them. But they did, I mean, they did have some huge stops, um, including Travis Kelsey blaming himself for the Poyer fumble Um on uh, Nicole Hardman because he did not hold his block and Poyer wanted it more. So to me, the Bills won across the board. They won in time of possession. Um, the way that they played this football game, definitely, I think, once again, was one of the first times in playoff history where you lead a couple of different things between time of possession and a few other categories that led to a loss. I mean, they obviously did lead the turnover battle. Um, they were getting some ball luck. The two Bills fumbles, they recovered. The one went through the end zone for the Chiefs. So there was some ball luck there, and you thought maybe things were changing. You thought maybe the Bills had the luck. They were. This might be the year. The fumble through the end zone, that was something that would happen to the Bills on the other end to go win a game. It's kind of reversed, Kevin. So didn't you think at one point as Josh was driving that maybe the fortunes had changed? Yeah, I did. And I want to answer this question by Roy before I have a graphic that I want to pull up. So he was talking about that throw to Shakir. He said, I thought that throw was on third down. So what was the third down play? So I'm going back and looking at this just so we're all on the same page. So it was first and 10 at the Kansas City 27 with 242 left on the clock. James Cook 
right guard to Kansas City 26 for one yard. So that ran them into the two-minute warning. So it was second and nine, and that's when he made that pass to Shakir, felt incomplete. That took five seconds off the clock. And then the third and nine, he just rolled out to his right. Nothing was open, so he lived to fight another down and just threw it away. And then it was fourth and nine with a minute 47 left, and that's when Bass missed a field goal. So I thought they could have gotten a little bit more on that third down play because as upset as I was that he missed Shakir on second down, I was like, it's Josh Allen. He can pick it up on third down. And then nothing was there. And it almost seemed like Josh thought in his head or maybe someone was in his head saying, do not turn the ball over. Don't try to pull off heroics. Just throw it out and we're going to kick the field goal and tie this thing up. He had two receivers across his body, Gavin, that he got to throw into that he, that he does throw to occasionally. And he did not do it. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too, especially when you see the replay from different angles. So it seems like in the two-minute warning, someone was in his head saying, be smart, do not turn the ball over. This season's not going to come down to an interception. So we said, okay, I'm just going to throw it out of bounds. Tyler Bass, come out, kick the field goal. Oh, never mind. So that leads me to the graphic that I was going to pull up here because I saw this today, and it's just so interesting. And it just kind of hits back at home again because then you're like, oh, man, this is our one time to win. Like, the Chiefs were vulnerable. I mean, look at these stats here. Time of possession, the Bills won. First downs, total yards, third down conversions, fourth down conversions. They won the turnover battle. But did they win the game? No. And, you know, someone tweeted this today and said, this is a McDermott problem. But honestly, I see it the other way. This is an execution problem. Because if you are winning in all those categories, that means that you played a very, very good game and a very well coached game, aside from, you know, a different, a few different decisions here and there. But like I said at the outset of the show tonight, this comes down to two to four plays that totally change the outcome of this game. So to me, say what you want about McDermott. I'm not mad at him for this game. I'm more mad at the execution. The missed field goal, the drop passes, the 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 mishaps on defense. And to your point, they did tighten up as the game went on. But, you know, that first drive coming out of the half, they marched right down the field. And then their second drive, for that matter, they did the same exact thing. So, yeah, I, I, I think this just comes down to an ex- execution standpoint. And I really don't think the Bills are that far off. That's why I'm not one to say blow it up. It hasn't worked yet. Really, you legit just need two or three more plays to go your way. You need your big time players to make big time plays in the big moments. And we're looking at an AFC championship game right now. Can't dispute that. And to your point on the statistics there. So both uh, tonight, the Bills, both rush and pass for 180 plus yards, had zero giveaways had under 30 penalty yards, believe it or not, had 35-plus minutes time of possession, and had five separate 10-play drives. It's the first time a team's ever lost with those statistics. Um, I mean, ultimately, the only result, as you showed on the screen, that didn't amount to anything was the loss. The Bills had the unluckiest play as well. A 6 EPA on that deep throw to Diggs. Back to the Diggs throw. A 6 EPA, meaning that that throw should amount to six points. Um, So, in theory, analytics... And the play in general is calling that a touchdown. Do I think he would have scored? Mm, I don't know. I don't. I don't know, Kevin. If he would have gotten in, I do think he would have been inside the twenty. Uh, but I don't know if he would have gotten in. 
Uh, very rarely do we see Diggs complete that play. A lot of times you see him go up, get the ball, come down at the 15, at the 20. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of go to the ground to, to secure the ball and his body. I don't know if he would have finished that playoff with the way that that was thrown and the way he was leaping. It's possible. Um, but it was called a six EPA, meaning that it's a six point play. So technically it can be up to seven points because EPA does factor. You're going to make the extra point. So you can have a close to a seven pointer. So that was a six point play. So basically they're saying it should have been at bare minimum, a situation where the bills are in extreme situation to score a touchdown. Um, and that was the unluckiest result based on it shouldn't have been a drop too. So it was, so they had a couple of things work against them. The DeMar Hamlin play, it was there. If you look on, if you look at it again, it was there. Put the Ty Johnson's on that unit. Like, I don't know if that would have been a tell to, to have him there. Ty, if say for instance, Ty Johnson gets that play, it's a first down. He would have read it. He had the vision. Obviously he's a running back. Uh, he would have gotten a first down. That's the funny part is I rewatched the play. It was there. I don't know what DeMar was doing, going to his left, like trying to fight blocks. I have no idea, but he's a safety. Um, like, like how in the world could he have known that outside of running as a fake gunner, stopping and catching? I think he could do that. But in a situation where you're taking the ball, um, it's just, I don't like the personnel situation. That's that to me is a Matt Smiley thing. Sean McDermott's not picking DeMar to get the ball there. He is signing off on a fake. Obviously yeah, they called it. They said, we, you know, we, we can't trust to make another stop again. Um, so we're going to trust that we can convert on special teams. It just needs to go to Ty Johnson. I mean, ultimately, Matt Smiley struggled. His unit struggled all year. He's had blocked field goals. Bass went two for five in the playoffs. You had whatever that Sam Martin decision was. Like, I mean, that had to be Matt Hawk all day. Sam Martin was shanking balls left and right in a, in a situation where Bills had the lead. Um, like, he had no business being on the field there. The reason he was there was probably Bass signed off on him holding the ball, and yet we still see him miss field goals. It was an extreme catastrophe from the special teams uh, situation. I don't doubt they covered very well at anything that did get recover or returned um, that didn't go through the end zone. So I ultimately, I mean, that unit was so poor. I would not run it back. I, it's it's definitely, to me, not something that I like to see. I mean, the one Shank, Richie James, still returned for 15 yards. I mean, it was a mess. It was a mess. Um, that unit was a mess all season long, in my opinion, beside the Deontay Hardy touchdown that I don't have, think has anything to do with anything. Okay, you can say the blocks were set up, I guess. But other than that, the unit was a wreck. Uh, I thought the kicking game looked poor. I thought the kickoff game was poor. I thought the punting game beside December for Sam Martin, who was pretty good, was poor the entire season. Uh, I just think it was a mess from that unit. And final nail in the coffin to me was McDermott did obviously approve that play to go down. I don't think that he's sitting there in meetings that you're going to catch him with DeMar Hamlin. I do think that there should have been a little bit better of a creative plan to get the ball to Ty Johnson, who to me was running the ball well at the end of the season, but that's neither here nor there, Kevin. So give me some final wrap up thoughts on this game. As always, please smash the like button that allows us to deliver amazing content. That means a world to us. If you can hit that for me right now, what was your final wrap up thoughts? Like what play, what situation? Is there something that, you feel like we should talk about prior to getting into what the bills need to do next. Well, I want to expand on your specialty point because that fake punt that McDermott is lucky. He is very lucky that they forced a fumble because we would have been talking about that for a long time. If Kansas city went down to score and then it would have been what, like 27, 17, it would have been a two possession game. If not even more, do you remember what the score was at that point? Before what? The fumble? 
There's a yeah. same score. Well, yeah, when they called that fake punt, what was the score? Same I'm score. Go back and... There's the same score as the ending score, 27-24. It was 27-24? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Because, uh, yeah, there weren't a lot of points that... Yeah, there was no points be- scored beside the start of the fourth quarter where they finished their drive from the third quarter. That's uh, but right. it was 27-24 when he called it. I don't think Sean had super high hopes to what he was trotting out there at linebacker. Everyone's like, they should have had three linebackers and 12 personnel. They didn't have a third linebacker to play. Um, but ultimately, um, they went for, yeah, turn it over on downs uh, right after the touchdown that Kansas City had scored to take the lead. So it was the next ensuing drive after that. And that drive started with a Josh Allen run for eight yards. So it looked promising. Then a negative three by James Cook. Just, just to me, like I just didn't get anything going for James Cook in the second half at all. And then a, a short uh, incompletion to Stephon Diggs with the passes batted at the line of scrimmage. It was fourth and five when they brought on um, when they brought on the punting unit. Okay, so if the Bills didn't create that turnover, it would have been thirty-four to twenty-four. That's the score that I was thinking of, and it would have been a two-possession game, a ten-point game, and we would have been saying, "Should Sean McDermott get fired?" That's a fireable offense, right? I'm sure Twitter would have been freaking out over that. But luckily, for his sake and for our sake the Bills were able to force that fumble. And then it kind of looks like a, a smarter decision because it somehow, some some way works out. But that being said, I didn't like the call overall because to this comment right here, to their point, if you're going to be that aggressive, just leave Josh Allen out there. Because who do you trust, Tamar Hamlin or Josh Allen? But looking at it from the flip side, I do appreciate the aggressiveness from McDermott because he was trying to catch them off guard. And you're thinking if DeMar Hamlin's out there, like you're not going to have a fake, right? So he's trying to catch them off guard. And this is the thing that I appreciate the most. He was coaching to win. He wasn't coaching to not lose. And that's something that we've been talking about all year, how in the beginning, in the middle of the year, he was coaching to not lose. But now we saw McDermott evolve and change this year. And that's what I respect about him a lot now is that he put his players in position to go win. He knew that his defense was was giving up a lot of yards and they were giving up a lot of points. And he said that was basically him admitting that the defense was not on their A game, so let's try to do something about that to go win the game. So I do appreciate it from that standpoint that he was coaching to win and be aggressive. But again, I think they could they could have called a better play. Now, one other thing that I want to talk about, going back to the final possession for the Bills, what do you think about going for it on fourth and nine? Because I've seen some people talk about that as well. Because I think that also would have been a huge mistake for McDermott that we would have been saying, how do you not take the field goal and, and just tie the yeah. game? Right? Like He, if, he would have been ridiculed. He would have been ran. Out. That's worse than missing the field goal. Because exactly. at least that's an expectation that that field goal goes through and you can at least try to play defense. There is, dude, it wouldn't have been a mess if he went for it there. And, and the same thing we're saying about him with Hamlin in, in this story early on in the quarter that we're saying, put the ball in Josh's hands. He can't win because if that goes into Josh's hands on fourth and nine, now fourth and nine, fourth and three, okay, maybe. But fourth and nine, I mean, I mean, that's silly. That's silly business. That's aggressive to be aggressive. That's the negative side of like Dan Campbell when he goes for it there um in situations like when he's still going for two after a penalty like that's that's reckless stuff um could it have worked you have josh allen or mahomes sure that could definitely work um but ultimately 
uh, it's it's a silly, silly, silly situation. And ultimately, also the same thing. If he trots on Josh Allen, it's the same the same result. Although it's Josh Allen and he's your best player, if you don't convert that, it's the same thing. I mean, it's ultimately the same. Now you're going against their their defense, their their strength of their defense too. You don't get their special teams unit. So the idea there is that they have no idea that Demar Hamlin, who's never carried the ball. You're thinking you're going to catch him off guard against a special teams unit, not against Chris Jones, not against Snead. Um, you know, you're going against a situation or Leo Chanel. You're going against a situation to where there are their special teams. They're expecting to return a punt to get into good field position. Um, you know, Josh Allen, of course, is the much. I mean, even, no one's going to ever convince you otherwise that Josh Allen isn't the right person to have on the field there. But that they can be in their top. They can counter with their top defense as compared to. They thought they saw a look that caught him off guard that they thought that was open, which if you watch the film, it was open. Tamar Hamlin just had no confidence running the ball. That was the issue. The issue wasn't the fake punt call. The issue was that ball needs to go into somehow going to Ty Johnson's hands. That's 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 the biggest issue there. It's not the call. And I don't know that Sean McDermott was the one to play design to Demar Hamlin. That's that's what literally what a special teams coach does all season is they try to find a play design that'll work. It didn't work. Sean Smiley, Smiley's a mess um ultimately all around like I, I i he was the one like matt smiley was definitely the one that created that design um and it just wasn't very good um period and that ball should never be in a safety hands in that situation other than if he a throw to the gunner fine but a run pure running play no that's got to be in a, in a running back's hands period and that's the way i look at it and as you i think you said it best we got on him for being too conservative, dropping back into coverage on fourth and three or third and three, whatever it was last year with Burrow and situations that he wasn't aggressive. He was aggressive all day and it almost got him the win because he needed to switch something up. He had the ghost of AJ Klein who was in an RV. Godson <laughs> who was on one arm. You had clearly Douglas shouldn't have been playing. You had no Benford. You had White already gone. You had no Milano. You had linebackers five and six in the game. I mean, you had a situation to where the all-time best is going up against a dude that was in an RV, a hurt player that was on and off the field, like in a rookie who didn't play a ton in Dorian Williams, who still flashed. It was so essentially like, Mahomes against a preseason defense. I, with two safety old two safeties who know what they're doing, who were fine at times, but they the safeties could not make up for the poor linebacking play all game. And Dane Jackson didn't look great. Just after I finally praised Dane Jackson for once against the Steelers, he didn't <laughs> play great either. He was horrible. Um, he, he reverted to his normal self that to me is not very sticky in coverage, which is why he lost the job to Benford. Christian Benford was a huge loss. We're not talking about it, but that defense was poor. The defensive line, they schemed to make sure that they mitigated it because they knew they could beat the bills back seven. Um, it's a week to week league. If the bills put on another defense this week, this Sunday, I think it's a completely different result, but the AJ Klein Terrell Dodson divisional round playoff game is completely different. And, 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 and Gabe Davis may have mattered in those Sherfield plays which could bring us to our next segment about what's next. But does Gabe Davis make a difference in this game? Like we can be mad all we want about some plays that he's made or hasn't made in the past. Does Gabe Davis make a difference over Sherfield in this game? I think he does. Now you can make the case that Gabe Davis also has drop problems and that sure. he would not be able to haul those in like Sherfield. But I think this comes down to the fact that the Bills wide receiver room was thin right along and we could go back to even last April or May or June about how everyone wanted DeAndre Hopkins and ultimately Bean signed Leonard Floyd and Puna Ford. And you know what? Those were great additions. 
I know Puna Ford was underwhelming, but at the time it was a great signing. Leonard Floyd balled out. Of course, you know, he got quiet down the stretch and didn't show up, especially this past week against the Chiefs. But still, I think those were smart, calculated moves. But if he were to use that money and sign DeAndre Hopkins, if you had D-Hop, I think this is a different outcome. And to your point, if you had Gabe Davis, this game is a different outcome. So, like I said a few minutes ago, this is going to translate us into the offseason talk because I think that's that's job number one for Brandon Bean. He's got to get Josh more help because should Sherfield have made those catches? Yeah, but he was essentially playing out of position. He's a wide receiver four or five in this league, and they were asking him to be a wide receiver too because of injuries. And again, would Gabe have made those plays? I don't know. It's tough to say, but he always comes up big, and that's one of his specialties specialties is that even if he can't catch intermediate passes he usually is pretty good with the deep balls and at least it provides that threat because he's done it against the Chiefs before where they'd be a little bit more scared and maybe that would open up things for digs a little bit more so I think just the fact that Gabe Davis would have been out on the field his presence alone would have impacted the game not to mention the plays that he could have had I, I I'm I'm I I'm I know that Davis does have his drops at times, but it's not to the level that everyone assumes that it is. Davis does has drops problems. Diggs has just as many or more. I would say Diggs um, might have had more drops than Davis. He did have two today, or excuse me, uh, uh, on Sunday he had two. Um, James Cook's drops balls. I mean, you saw Knox drop balls. I mean, ultimately, it wouldn't have been at the rate it was. And I do believe this is where he's good. He does make both of those plays, if not one. So that's where I'm going to stand on this. And the Bills, what's next for the Bills? What do they need to do with Khalil Shakir? What do they need to do uh, to continue to grow this? Because Diggs, going into this offseason now, Diggs now all of a sudden doesn't have any issues. He's happy somehow for some reason. Yeah, you know why he's happy? Because he's going to make an $18.5 million base salary. So I guess I would be happy too. He's going to cost the Bills $27 million uh, on the cap. What, what what's he mad about now? He knows he's 31. What's what's going to be different? He gets $19 million in new cash this year. So ultimately, what can he really complain about at this moment? I mean, that's about that he, what he's worth. And he knows that he can't talk because last year he was backing it up. This year, if he opens his mouth and, and starts to tweet cryptically, he's going to get ratioed. And maybe not completely ratioed because we still love digs. But you, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't have a leg to stand on anymore. And that goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show tonight. You got to talk the talk and walk the walk. And right now he's not doing that. So I think he knows that he's just going to have to get back to tweeting normally and not throwing his quarterback under the bus and, and uh, shutting down those rumors that he wants out of Buffalo and just get back to playing football. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward what needs to be done um in terms of that like for stefan Diggs, also it's pretty straightforward that like the bills need to do four moves only to get to even on the cap it's not really that big of a deal they're going to do something with josh allen whether it's a restructure or pushing out or extension that's the first move number two is you got to do something with stefan Diggs's contract um you know are you going to uh, you're not going to move on from him at this stage so what are you going to do you're going to essentially most likely restructure him in some form or fashion because he saves you 13 million dollars to do something with that it's a pretty easy move for a guy that you're hoping retires with you. You're not expecting to trade him. Um, so to me, I think you hope he plays out the rema remainder of his contract, in my opinion, at least even closer to the end of it. 
and you kind of restructure that deal. So to me, you restructure those two players, you cut Saran Neal, uh, and you cut Hardy, and you're even. So what's next for the Buffalo Bills? But as always, this show is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. And finally, tonight's show is brought to you by Dave Dangler and Larson Timco Funeral Home here in Fredonia. Larson Timco Funeral Home, offering 100% fully guaranteed price and pre-arranged funeral plans with live streaming available. So thank you again to all of our sponsors. And like Kevin always says, make sure you smash the like, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, follow Built in Buffalo on Twitter, Facebook. We have a, a huge following over there as I guess it's just me for the time being. Um, Kevin's probably getting reconnected here. But yeah, I mean, we, we want to hear from you guys as there he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean... We really appreciate all the support, as always, from everybody here. Um, what are you, what are what are you hoping for when it comes to this uh, this offseason? Are there are there specific needs? Are there specific things you guys think that the Bills need to handle? All of our on demand listeners, as well on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, we really appreciate everybody from uh, telling us what that um, what you need to do. But yeah, so restructure does push money down the road. So you take his base salary, eighteen million dollars, and you spread it out over the, re- the remainder of his deal, including this year. So if you just keep his existing deal as is, you take it and you spread it over four years this year plus three. Uh, but I seem to imagine the Bills will need to take; they need to get this in line. So they're going to add a void year or two onto it. Um, to push a little bit of that down the road to where it's a manageable dead cap number um, when you do decide to move away from them. So that's kind of how you mitigate the fact that you're pushing money down the road. Everybody uses void years. It's a thing of the future, and that's just what it's going to be. Like, they're going to use void years. That's basically any deal now uh, across the league that you're going to use void years for, um, and you're going to push maybe another year or two void into it because it's the simplest solution for the Bills to get back in line uh, what what they need to do with the cap. So that's that's quite frankly what I think that the Bills will do. Those are the four easiest moves to do like right off the bat. Now, some people are like, well, I don't want to push any Diggs money down the road. Well, I mean, look, they, they certainly don't want to push Von Millers down the road. They already have some work to do with Trey White and they have work to do with Dawkins and Taron Johnson and Mitch Morris. I, I just think that they can push money down the road when it comes to, comes to Stephon Diggs pretty easily. And I ultimately think that's the way that they go with this. So, um, you know, sure, it does it does push a little bit more money into the future years, but nothing that that's that alarming that you can still get out of in a year or two. So that's kind of where I where I fit with this situation. Um, a lot of hardy like, but the, the interesting thing to come out too, Kevin, was the like for Naeem Hines. I did not expect that. So the Bills do the difference is if if Naeem Hines is on the roster. That's bad for a couple of players. That's bad for Hardy. So there's no there's no way they keep off. So they yep. just redundant. Yes, they're a different position, but they're too redundant on the roster. So the Bills will pick, and it looks like they're leaning Naeem Hines. Well, what that will do is probably put a put a put a pin in anyone else at the veteran running back position. So no Fournette, no obviously no Fournette. However that ended, but no um, Latavius Murray's gone. Uh, they probably will bring back Ty Johnson. I'd assume. So that'll basically be what it looks like, like Naeem Hines, Ty Johnson, James Cook, and probably a late-round rookie. That's probably how your running back room looks going into that year. And they probably still are hoping they can do something, shave a little bit more off of Hines' contract. I bet the reason that Bean mentioned that is because they know that he's willing to take a cut 
maybe they do an extra year and throw some money down the road and, and take a big pay cut there and are able to have him on the roster. He's a good returner. He's a great returner, just as good as Hardy. Uh, he does bring some elements to the passing game that the Bills are probably thinking about using this year. Uh, but it'll be nice to see him back uh, after that horrific uh, jet ski incident uh, of last year. But I don't they, they can't keep both. So I do believe uh, that they'll immediately cut Hardy right in, right in March. Like, I, like, look, I like that play. I thought there was some nice moments, but ultimately he just couldn't get it done. Right, Kevin? Yeah, I'm glad this came up because I thought that was interesting yesterday. And when Bean talked about that, they, they said, is Naheem Hines part of the plans for 2024? And without missing a beat, he said yes, immediately. Like he didn't give one of those answers or he's like, well, you know, we're going to evaluate and we're going to we're going to look at everything this offseason and I'm going to have to talk to Sean and see where the numbers are at. He like said a one word answer. Yes. So he might just be saying that, but that seemed very truthful. So to your point, I think between Heinz and Hardy, you're going to have to keep one of them. And it sounds like they're leaning towards Heinz. And I believe off the top of my head, that would say four and a half million if they get rid of Hardy and. I liked Hardy, and to his point here, I did want to see some plays for him talking about stretching the field vertically or the jet sweeps or some trickery because I thought we could have used more of his speed, and he did come up with a couple of uh, clutch plays, but it just wasn't enough this year. They didn't do enough with him on offense, and when you look at the special team's ability, well, you have Naeem Hines for that, so... I think it's just one of those cases you're going to have to choose between one out of the two. And on that press conference, it sounded like they're leaning towards Hines. Now, the other thing that I was going to say was I tweeted this yesterday and I got a lot of comments for Ty Johnson because I said, hmm, so if they keep Naeem Hines, he's probably going to be RB3. You have James Cook as RB1. That leaves an opening for RB2. And I said that just looking very loosely at spot track, you know, I'm still in that weird phase of like, how do I want to handle this? You know, like the five stages of grief or whatever it's called, you know, like acceptance, bargaining, denial, anger, that's not in the correct order. But part of my process is, well, maybe I'll just look at the free agents for a little bit to make me feel better. So I haven't been able to go into it full depth yet, but I did look and two names that stuck out were Deontay Foreman and Rashad Penny. Because I think that those are two guys, two big bruisers, who would be an upgrade over Latavius Murray and Damian Harris. Because let's not forget, the Bills were high on both of those guys to provide that complement. You know, the thunder to the lightning. They would be the thunder, James Cook is a lightning, and Naeem Hines for that matter. And like I said on Twitter, don't forget, pass protection plays a huge role in this too. But a lot of people were commenting saying, what about Ty Johnson? We love Ty Johnson. So I guess I'm going to throw this to the audience and to you, Kevin. I mean, do you think that Ty Johnson is RB2 material? Because I agree. I like Ty Johnson. I think he had a really good season. But it just seems like if you are, in fact, keeping Hines, just like your point about Hardy, that it would also be redundant to have Ty Johnson because they have similar skill sets. So I feel like they would want more variance to their running back room. Like, does Ty Johnson have a role here? I thought maybe he could be RB4, put him on the practice squad, but then they brought back Darrington Evans yesterday. Yeah, I mean, Darrington Evans is going to be a guy they bring into camp. Uh, he bounced around the league. Apparently, he has enough talent to be looked at as a running back 3-4. But I think with with Hines, I mean, that's just another policy if all these running backs aren't healthy. Um, when If Hines is healthy and, he, and he's fine to go and he's on the roster, there's no need for Evans. They, he may be... 
the guy they put on, he may be the new Ty Johnson, a guy you put on the practice squad. That's always a hope with those guys. Um, but I think the Bills really like Ty Johnson, hence why they went with him over Evans. And maybe Evans had better opportunities and he found the active roster across the league. So ultimately, it's going to be the same thing where Evans looks to come back here. They probably said, look, there's no more Murray. There's no more Fournette. Like you're literally a hurt Hines and Ty Johnson away from meaningful <laughs> playing time. So it made sense why he came back. But yeah, no, the redundancy there is the reason you would keep Hines is because he could take the role of Ty Johnson and to me, uh, Deontay Hardy. But look, I, I think you can, that doesn't mean you still can't keep Ty Johnson if he comes back and he is the guy um, that, that earns a running back too. You're just, Everyone's just assuming you go for a bigger bruiser back, but Ty Johnson runs the ball pretty well. Like, I mean, he's a speedster. He he is he is a good solid running back. I don't necessarily think you need to have one of those big bruising veteran guys <clears throat> as much as I'd like Deontay Foreman or something like that. Uh, I just I don't know that it's necessary, especially when you can sign Ty Johnson. You have Naeem Hines, James Cook, Evan sitting on the practice squad or, or some variation of it in a rookie. I just think the Bills will have too many other needs. And I'm a running back guy, but I just think the Bills will have too many needs uh, to really do much more than that. Just like with O-line, uh, sure, there's some things they could do there, but ultimately between O-line and running back, like they have to go elsewhere because um, the running back unit and the, and the O-line unit were mostly fine. So besides some late additions, I don't veteran cheap players. I don't think you can do a whole lot, try to bring back David Edwards. Other than that, like the unit is fine. Like I don't think there's anything you need to do on those two fronts. Tight end is fine. I just don't think there's anything you need to do across those, those units. And you're going to find your vet quarterback again. What are they going to do there? But on offense, like the main thing you're looking for on offense, the only thing you're looking for is multiple receivers to replace Sherfield and Hardy. And how are you going to do it? Like that is the main question mark coming away from this, this whole thing. Uh, because you're Shakir and Diggs and you're going to be missing, you know, you're going to cut Hardy. You're not going to resign Sherfield. And I, I don't think Davis at this point, you have two receivers on the roster, two starting receivers, but you need a starter and you need some, you need a receiver four in a hurry. So you need to sign a receiver two. Some people argue a borderline receiver one, and then you need a four. So the bills are, and then, and then they'll obviously have a vet on the roster. Of course, you know, probably two vets and that's the way the six will look. So ultimately do they spend the only way that they can move some money around and spend a little bit at receiver? Like where are you spending your money? If you can, you're not going to make a huge splash, but if you can make one signing, what position is it from when you're talking about free agency? Well, to Brian's point here, let's start looking at it from the overall perspective first before we get into the specifics. So he asked about Mike Evans, and who wouldn't want Mike Evans? He has 10 straight years of putting up 1,000 yards. I mean, that's an NFL record. He's insane. Look at all the quarterbacks he's played with, too. So there's no question about his talent level. He's 30 years old, still somewhat in his prime. The problem is his market value is 23.8 million. So that's not happening. Now, the reason I wanted to start here is because I was listening to Mike Janitti of Spot Track today, and he said that he estimates that the bills are roughly $44 million over the cap. So not only do they have to get under the cap by 44 million, then they will have to cut an additional or yeah, cut slash free up an additional 35 to 40 million so they can spend on free agents and the draft class. So when it's all said and done, the bills need to free up almost $80 million in the next few weeks here so that they can maneuver properly. So now getting into some of the more, the, the specifics here, 
they are going to have a lot of guys that they want to re-sign. 22 free agents, Daquan Jones, one of those guys up there. You know, you're going to have to retool the defense. And to your point, the offense is pretty set aside from the wide receiver room. So here's my idea for wide receiver. You sign one or two cheap veterans. And again, without getting into the specifics too much, I looked at the free agent list. Someone that really stuck out to me is Noah Brown, 28 years old from Houston, and he could be that vertical deep threat, veteran presence, stretch the field for Josh. And then, like I said, I am all over drafting a wide receiver in the first round. And let's not forget, there's Justin Shorter, too. So let's take a look at it from that perspective. You would have Diggs 1, Rookie 2, Shakir 3, Noah Brown 4, Justin Shorter 5, and then whether you want to draft another one or or uh, sign another one. Yeah, because that would be six, right? Yep. Because yeah, they, they have three under contract right now. And then Noah Brown will be four. Yeah, so, I mean, they're going to have to do a lot of work at the wide receiver position this offseason. So whether that's two free agents and a draft pick or one free agent and two or three draft picks, but there's going to be a, a big overhaul at wide receiver for sure. It's just a matter of what they, how they approach, and we'll get into we'll get into super specifics as the time goes on. We have all February to talk draft prospects uh, and to talk kind of our favorite ways to go about it, uh, as well as what should the Bills do in free agency. It, free agency always sneaks up from you in the middle of March. Uh, that comes quickly, and and Mike Janetti's right; they have some work to do. But just a few moves can get you to where you need to be to be close to the cap, and then from there to free up some more money. Dawkins is an option. Morse is an option. Taron Johnson is an option. Trey White is an option. There's there's so many things that Bean just does every year, anyways, um, that he will make make room um, beyond just Josh Allen Diggs. Um, what were what will they do with Von Miller? Now there's nothing you can really do in terms of cutting him, but will he get? Will, will the Bills do something with that kind? Will they approach Von and say, "Hey, we need money. Like uh, like we gave you a lot of money. Like what can you do for us?" Um, so there's possibility there. Um, you know, what will they do with this, this Knox contract? Is there anything there? Matt Milano's contract probably has some options there. Taron Johnson, like I said, um, you know, at Oliver's on a pretty good deal. Rasul Douglas is someone else that they can work on some, something with, um, Jordan Poyer, a guy that does plan to play in is under contract. I just don't, that's the number one thing. Everyone thinks we need two safeties. I think that they pair Jordan Poyer for one more year with a new safety to teach the safety, everything he knows about the system. And they replace them one at a time. I think it's one new safety this year. And I think the second new safety in two years, that's how I envision the safe. That's why I don't think it's as big of a need as receiver because Jordan Poyer is ultimately going to call the defense uh, from the defensive back next year. And then you have Bernard and Milano coming back to call the actual defense. So I don't believe the safety position, whereas I need a new safety McDermott's one of his best qualities as DBs. We don't need to sink a major asset into DB. Again, cornerback room is super strong. They have moves to make there. Uh, it's a super strong unit. Linebacker with the two starters coming back and Dorian Williams in the pipeline is a super strong unit. It is. Um, so I don't think you need to do anything with corners or linebackers. I mean, you can take late players all you want. Um, you know, you need, I think you bring back Poyer. It makes sense and pair him with somebody, an up-and-comer, uh, in the free agency, a guy that's coming to be a going to come in and safety hasn't been an expensive position in free agency lately. Besides Jesse Bates, safety's been pretty reasonably priced. You could re-sign Rap if you want to go that way. Uh, there's so many options that they can go at the safety position and draft somebody. I just don't think it's like that demanding. McDermott will they will find the guys they're looking for, and I think that Poyer, a rookie, 
as well as probably a vet will be in the mix is, is how that safety play will look. So ultimately, you got safety in the mix, you got a couple receivers you need, and you got DTs. That's that's that is that is a huge way to do it. And what do they do with Leonard Floyd? What are they doing with the Greg Rousseau contract uh, as he approaches the final, you know, kind of the end, you know, he's going to get into his toward the end of his uh, contract here in the fourth year already, uh, which they may do something there to free up some money. Or what are you going to do with AJ Epinesa? So it's very interesting um, way to look through all this. I just don't think McDermott goes with two new safeties though. I think Poyer being under contract, the comments that he has made, the comments that his wife, Rachel Bush has made that he's returning uh, just leads me to believe that I do think that he does have value on this roster, uh, especially with a couple of new moves already ma being made. I just cannot see them make, needing to make another hole that we're creating as fans. I think he's one of the safeties on opening day uh, because he's already under contract. They can work that number a little bit, uh, maybe give him some incentives. He's going to be, I think, in my opinion, on the roster as a starting safety next to a rookie. That's the way I look at uh, the safety position rolling out um, as corners and linebackers are, are safe. And then D-line is going to be the ultimate position. So we're going to get into breaking down some D-line and more. But Kevin, would you sign Floyd or Epinesa or neither? Yes, but we got to see how the money works because let me say one other thing about what Janiti said today. So if we restructure Josh Allen's contract, that saves about $23 million. And to your point, the Bills could extend Deion Dawkins, Taron Johnson, and Rasul Douglas. So that probably frees up an additional, what, 10 to $15 million? So like you're almost at that threshold already. And then if you cut someone like a Deontay Hardy or if you tinker around with Knox's contract or Von Miller or Diggs, you have some pretty easy moves that you can make right off the bat to get you under the cap. But then it's a matter of how much money do you have after that to go make additional moves to add to your roster. So that's where it gets confusing because, yeah, I want both of those players back right now. But that's just me saying that as a fan. Can you make it work contractually? Can you make it work financially? So right now, I mean, I guess you would have to go with Epinesa over Floyd because he's younger. And you think that he has more valuable or he has more value to the team. But Leonard Floyd was just so good this year, aside from the last few weeks when he dropped off. That's what makes it tough. Um, what I will say, though, is I hope that the Bills address defensive line in free agency because I don't want them to fall in the trap again of not drafting a wide receiver. And I, I, I guess what I should say is I don't want them to fall into the trap of drafting defense and neglecting offense because – do you guys know that the last time that the Bills drafted a wide receiver before day three was in 2017 when they took Zay Jones in round two? And that wasn't even a Brandon Bean draft. That was Doug Whaley. So Brandon Bean has never drafted a wide receiver in round one or round two. That needs to change this year. And something that I did have noted for today's show, then we'll get into each of these in specifics. If Micah Hyde wants to play football again, do the Bills renew him? I don't think he would cost a lot of money. Cost only between three and four million dollars right now per Genetti um, on his projections. Daquan Jones would cost six point eight million dollars to renew per Genetti. These are all per spot track. Eight point one million for Leonard Floyd is about his mark currently calculated market value. Settles at three and a half. Dane Jackson's at three. Terrell Dodson's actually, uh, per his evaluations, three-year, $14 million projection. Bills have to let that go. They can't They can't do anything with that if that's actually what he's going to be worth. For some reason, Gennady thinks that Taylor Rapp's worth two for 11 
I don't agree with that. Um, but we'll see if Taylor Rapp is able to get a medium tier deal like that. Uh, AJ Epinesa is only projected at two year, 11 million. If that's his projection, guys, I think the Bills need to do that. That is a that is a number that they can do, and that adds an immediate starter to the defensive end unit um, that I think is is more than manageable. And then obviously Gabe Davis right now is projecting at four for fifty five, around thirteen and a half million dollars. Uh, so ultimately, the big one there is like that AJ Epinesa value does seem to strike like it's very very possible. And how many final years can Jones play? I think he thinks he can play another year or two. I think the Bills need to get him done because he's only going to be in the five million dollar range too. So between him. They need to get him done uh, to bring back Daquan Jones next to Ed Oliver uh, and then have A.J. Epinesa and Rousseau and Von Miller. That is the start you're looking to as you take it into the draft. So some of those would be my most valued re-signings. I don't know if they can afford Floyd. Maybe they'll let him play out the market. Floyd definitely said he wants to be back. We'll see. But not at the two-year $16 million valuation. The Bills can't really afford that. However, they do have some void years on their existing cap as it sits right now, meaning they can use those void years to try to work a deal, have a little bit of motivation to work a deal with Floyd. So we'll see if they go that way. But I think that if AJ Epinesa's value is around that two years, $11 million, I think that that at his age, um, you know, 25 years old, I think that that just does make sense as a natural reunion there. Jordan Phillips looks like he's going to hang it up. I don't think they're going to see anything from Ford, Sherfield, Harris, uh, they could do some type of $2 million deal with Edwards. He was a great value add. Love the, love the versatility of David Edwards. He was a really good value signing out of those $1.7 million signings they had. And will they be in range for compensation picks this year? There's a lot of guys there. Does Dodson get a deal? Does Dane Jackson get a deal? Do they let uh, Floyd walk? Does Micah Hyde sign something to finish out his career? Is he done? Um, there are some Gabe Davis's deal. So there's definitely some compensation picks to further add into the bucket for the future uh, for future drafts. So there's definitely some guys there uh, that the Bills could uh, could get some compensation picks for, Kevin. But we're going to break down that and more on future shows. And we really appreciate everybody tuning in to this action-packed, uh, unfortunately, what's next edition. These are some high-level thoughts. What else you got for us, Kevin? What, what else is on your mind as we kind of approach the end here? Uh, you know, I think we covered everything for the most part because this is a hard part of the season where you don't want to get into too much because we essentially have eight months to talk about it. So <laughs> we don't need to, you know, set we, we don't need to sink our teeth into it tonight and just talk about everything because that's what the next multiple weeks are for. Unfortunately, you know, I was hoping that we were going to hold off for at least one more week, um, you know, I guess tying this back into the Kansas City game. I thought that the bills were going to just fall short eventually because of the injuries, but I really thought that they were going to get past Kansas city and get over that hump. But then I just thought that there might be an emotional letdown. And I was like, just, you know what, that would, that would really hurt to lose the AFC championship. But if you could beat Kansas city at home, I think that would make a lot of us feel better. At least you almost made it to February and man, third year in a row where we're sitting here, Today's date is January 24th, and we're talking about 2024. And I was hoping that we were going to have at least one more week to talk about the 2023 bills, but I guess, uh, you know, here we are. So make sure you keep tuning into the podcast because we're definitely going to be getting into it. We're definitely going to ramp up with the free agency. I know I said it's kind of hard for me to really get into it too much right now, just coming off of that tough loss, but I think it's therapeutic for me. And it kind of energizes me, to be honest, because I look at spot track and I look at these lists and I'm like, oh, let's go, baby. Like, 
let's let's run it back. Let's figure out how we can build this team back even better this year. And hopefully it can be therapeutic for you guys as well. So all I can say is keep tuning into the podcast and uh, thank you again for our sponsors tonight. Yeah, and I think the final final thing to note is what are my thoughts on Douglas? One year, $9 million right now. The Bills will absolutely, he's been an, a, a great part of this defense. Uh, the difference between running it back, yeah, they're going to run it back, all right. That's some of the things. The Bills are just going to run it back. They're going to run it back with a healthy Douglas and Trey White. They're going to run it back with a healthy Taron Johnson. They're going to run it back with Benford behind them now instead of Dane Jackson. So you're talking about an elite-level cornerback play. Um, is Trey White worth cutting for $6 million? I don't know. Like, I don't know where he's going to be, but to me, Trey White does scream like a very $6 million value. That's all they would owe him over what they already owe him, $6 million. Uh, otherwise, you're taking a big dad, dead cap hit. I think he returns, and I think he kind of redoes his deal, but we'll see. Uh, and lastly, with Douglas, they will do something with his contract as well uh, going forward. And A.J. Epinesa, will he take a bridge deal? It's very possible that these guys around the 25-year mark do take these deals more than, than a vet. May, Floyd may be looking for that last final chunk of change. Uh, in his career. So I do think that you, you'll you see a couple things. And heck, yeah, I want to run this back, Kevin. It's not one of these teams that is broken, in my opinion, on a roster front. They almost won against KC and Patrick Mahomes with fifth and sixth linebackers on the field. Yeah, I want to see it with Matt Milano and, and Terrell Bernard. I, I really would like to see that uh, because that is more than the difference in this game. Um, so the Bills are running it back with 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 their defenders back. And, and and an overhaul of youth at the receiver position. Yeah, I do. I do want to see I do want to see this game with those linebackers, a healthy corner unit, as well as some youth at safety and some youth at receiver. Yeah, no, I, I kind of do want to see this game be played as soon as uh, as soon as possible when it comes to those additions. But as always, we really appreciate Summit Center. Uh, Larson Timko, Sons of Erie and Tuscany for being a proud sponsor of the show. Please smash the like button for us. That would be amazing. And we'll be back at you. All we're going to do is bring in great draft coverage. We're going to bring you great guests throughout. We're going to bring you some special events. We're going to be doing some things all spring. And as always, we're going to bring you the best and best analytics and eye test that we can when it comes to these draft prospects and what we think the Bills are going to do as they hit on draft picks. But from the Going Deep Buffalo Show, I'm Kevin. That's Kevin. We hate to sign off uh, for the regular season like this, but we'll be coming back at you with great action and a future plan for the Buffalo Bills, all on the Built in Buffalo podcast network. Look out for some great shows. We have the Buffalo Basement tomorrow. We had the Blitz yesterday. Uh, we have some amazing content, and we're only going to be adding more. So stay tuned to what we're going to be doing here as a network. But really appreciate everybody tuning in, and we will catch you next week and every week, Wednesday at 7.